Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to a Super Boom podcast. It is me, your host, Candace King, and we are on the cusp of Valentine's Day. We are here in February, and you know what? I was like, I want to do something nice for you guys. I want to do something nice for you, the listeners, and get you a Valentine's Day present. And I thought, what better than two episodes back-to-back about just relationships, specifically narcissistic relationships and the gaslight effect on relationships. You're welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. These are these are doctors who I've been really looking forward to sitting down with for a while. The timing is somewhat coincidental, but I just kind of wanted to lean in because why not? Why not? And this really is important information. I think it's an important thing to discuss because most people that find themselves in any sort of relationship with a narcissist or who are being gaslit don't necessarily always recognize that's what is happening. And it's usually, you know, you'll come to find after both of these episodes that the parallel is usually someone helping to point that out to them and or or they kind of receive that knowledge elsewhere. So if this is a way that anyone can maybe, you know, have their eyes opened for the first time or hear something a little differently for the first time, then I'm so honored to be uh, a small part in kind of supporting a platform like this in order for for you know our listeners for all of you guys to to grow because that's what we're all doing here 
we're all just growing. As as my dad loves to say, if you ain't growing, you're dying. And so my guest in this two-parter series is an expert in narcissism. Her name is Dr. Melissa Kaltz. Dr. Kalt is a physician who turned into a trauma and narcissistic abuse recovery expert, first through necessity and then by design. Now at the intersection of entrepreneurship, personal development, and past narcissistic abuse, she frees other soul-driven leaders from the longstanding after-effects of trauma and then guides them to leverage their experience to springboard into the future that they want and desire. If after listening to this episode, you want to know more, I highly recommend following Dr. Kalt. She's on Instagram. You can find her at Melissa Kalt, MD. And she has a ton of information up, including more about her program. So buckle up, buttercups. We're diving in. Welcome to my conversation with Dr. Melissa Kalt. Well, I really thought it'd be lovely to speak with you in anticipation for Valentine's Day. You know, some people want to talk about love and cupids. And I'm like, let's talk about narcissism because I feel like (laughs) (laughs) what a better way to celebrate the holiday of love and romance. I'm so enthralled by how you got into this line of work because you you also, you know, you were speaking how you back when you were in it in traditional medicine, essentially. And what kind of doctor were you? Were you a pediatrician? Oh my gosh. I am, I'm triple board certified because I'm insane, overachiever. So pediatrician, yes. Internal medicine, which is adults and lipidology, which is crazy cholesterol management. Wow. And (laughs) and when you... (laughs) You know, just and and on top of having what you mentioned, five children. You know, really. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! But how do you then find yourself really then wanting to make a career out of narcissism? Like I've I've read interviews of yours and and heard, but just for people who don't know much about you, how do you make that shift? Yeah, it was it was a kind of a wild journey. You know, I. When I set out to become a doctor in the first place, it was because I really wanted to help people and I really wanted to change their lives. And because of my own experience with narcissistic abuse and wanting to figure out how to do right by these five children that I brought into the world, how to sort of undo this trauma that happened to them, uh, release the trauma that happened to me so that I could be the best mom I could be. Like I, I felt so much drive or motivation to be able to do that, that I really dove in and I learned everything that I could about it. And the first few years, I left my job actually in 2018, the first few years that I was in business, I really danced around the issue of narcissism. I addressed symptoms that people who have experienced narcissistic abuse have, things like being really fatigued or overwhelmed or having trouble with time management or other things. And I I didn't address it. And then about two and a half years ago, and at this point I was remarried, I said to my husband, I got really like emotional. We were driving to Chicago to go to a fountain pen show. I got really emotional in the car. And I said, if I have to take every penny out of my retirement account to increase awareness and put an end to narcissistic abuse. It's what I have to do. Like there's no, there's no choice. Like if it doesn't make me any money, like this is what I have to do. 
Mm-hmm. And my husband is awesome because his response was, how can I help? And he has jumped in to help run things with me. Let's for the listeners define what narcissism is and also what narcissistic abuse is. That's great. So because narcissism is a word that's thrown around and narcissist is a word that's thrown around all the time, usually incorrectly. So most people think someone who's a narcissist is just like a self-centered asshole. And some of them behave that way, but there's actually diagnostic criteria that the Psychiatry Association has come up with to determine whether or not someone is a narcissist. Typically, it's going to involve them devaluing others and they need what we call narcissistic supply to regulate their own self-esteem and their own behavior. They are unable to do that for themselves. So and, and narcissistic supply might be a compliment. It might be, you know, admiring someone. It might be them feeling control because they put someone else down or feeling power over someone else. It could be them lying to someone and pulling the wool over their eyes. It can be extremely obvious or it can be extremely subtle. And what I found, because I, I tend to, my personal experience and my experience with a lot of the people I work with were with what we call covert or vulnerable narcissists, they're not the flashy ones. They're not the ones that are driving the fancy car and have a different woman on their arm and, you know, exerting power and control. They're the ones behind the scenes that are completely wreaking havoc. And most of those victims have no idea what's been going on. Most of them, I mean, I I have someone new came into one of my programs, just left after 46 years. A lot of them are more than 20 years. Wow. And when when it shifts to narcissistic abuse, what are the qualifications of that? What is, what is, what is something, what are recognizable patterns that are happening to where it is not just being around a person who is narcissist, narcissistic, but someone who is then enacting abuse within those behavioral patterns? So it's really interesting because most people think that it starts, you know, like months, years down the road, but it really starts on day one or the moment that they meet because the narcissist has a persona. It's almost like playing a role, you know, playing Caroline. They're, they're playing a role in the story of their life and they've played this role for so long. They're parents and siblings and childhood friends and their coworkers and colleagues and whatever all believe that this is who they are, but it's not. So there's this massive web of deception that they create and they create this false narrative that is their life. So when you meet someone and you step into that, you're not meeting who they really are. You're meeting this persona, this this character that they're playing. And when you fall in love with them or you choose to become friends with them or you choose to partner in business with them, you aren't making a a decision from a place of discernment, like knowing who you're getting into a relationship of whatever type with, because you don't actually know who they are. They've deceived you from the beginning. Most of the time, in those relationships, it starts with love bombing. Everyone talks about love bombing and they think love bombing sounds great. But even early on, they will start deceiving you 
And what I've learned is they use the things that work for love bombing to know how to deceive you, how to devalue you later. And that's the piece that becomes then very abusive, the manipulation, the passive aggressive put downs, the triangulating you with other people, the shifting blame to you and they've done something wrong the future faking. What's future faking? Future faking is, it it can have a number of different forms, but it's when they basically end a conflict right now by promising you something great in the future. It's kind of like, you know, tell you what you want to hear. So you, you let go of this. You know, I, I hear it all the time where people in a big thing, you know, like the wife says she wants to get divorced and the husband's like, okay, we'll sit down in a couple of days and talk about that. And then, you know, the next day he's like, you know, you've always wanted to go to Italy. Why don't we make that trip? Why don't we go for our anniversary this year? And now she's thinking like, I've been asking to go to Italy for 30 years. He's finally going to he take He finally me. hears me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they, and they don't necessarily go. Sometimes it's, it's really sinister, evil stuff, like giving them a birthday card, giving someone a birthday card that says like your gift is this weekend getaway or a spa day or whatever, and then never taking them. So they really got no gift, but they got accolades for giving them this gift at the family birthday party or whatever in front of everyone as if they were so generous. They get narcissistic supply for being so generous. Then they get it for devaluing you by not taking you for the spa day or the weekend getaway or whatever it was. Yeah. The performative element of it where like the compliments in front of other people and the put downs behind closed doors. For sure. And sometimes it can be super, super subtle. Like, oh my gosh, you're so right. You deserve so much better. I'll never do it again. When they don't actually mean that they'll never do it again. They're just trying to end the conversation and the conflict, Mm -hmm. go back to the way things were by promising you a better future. Yes with neglecting to do anything or take accountability in the present. When you, in studying not only attributes of narcissists, but is there something that kind of ties a bunch of narcissism or, you know, uh, people who are narcissistic together? Is there like behavioral patterns, whether it was like the way that they were raised or childhood or like a certain, like a trauma bond with a narcissist that you've seen in your work? Yeah, there's, you know, and and I think people are always studying it because they want to better understand it. I find that a lot of narcissists had narcissistic parents or grandparents or someone of significant influence. And the trauma from that relationship did make them, you know, sort of take on this, not only the behaviors and traits, but develop the disorder as well. I believe there are some people who, who think there's a genetic component as well. I tend to see that most children of narcissists either go on to become narcissists or go on to become victims unless someone can really intervene and, you know, sort of set the record straight as far as what's normal and healthy behavior. What are some familial patterns that you've recognized with people that you work with who became victims of extreme narcissism from their partners in in adulthood? One of the things that I've found super interesting is almost everyone that I've worked with has realized that they have a a narcissistic parent, but they only realized it after they came and did the work for the narcissistic ex. They didn't realize that beforehand because it just seemed so normal. 
There are things like giving someone the silent treatment. The silent treatment is never normal or healthy. You know, saying I need to take some space to clear my head, let's come back to this in an hour. That's normal, healthy, right? But giving someone the silent treatment because they don't agree with you or they didn't do what you wanted or whatever for days or months or whatever. Yeah. Not normal. But there's a lot of people who grow up thinking, well, this is just normal. And I know that for myself, when I got to adult relationships, there were a lot of things from childhood that I thought were normal that were not normal either. Even, you know, family patterns of, you know, maybe where like a parent and one of the children buddy up by talking trash about one of the other kids or about the other parent. But mm-hmm. there's this like almost taking sides, splitting into teams kind of thing tends to be very common. Being put down is one of the reasons that the love bombing is so effective when someone has had a narcissistic parent because they've already done all the heavy lifting. You're already like primed and ready. You think I'm not good enough. So someone comes in and says, oh my gosh, Melissa, you are so amazing. How are you single? And I'm like, oh, right. Like someone sees me. Someone, yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh my. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. At what point... Did you recognize that you were not only in a relationship with a narcissist, but what were the patterns that you started to recognize about the narcissistic abuse that made you 
really realized that you didn't want to ever, you wanted to do everything you could to make sure to help other people find themselves either not in that situation or a way out of that situation. So one of the things that was really huge was I didn't realize a couple things. One, how much cognitive dissonance there was. Cognitive dissonance is when like what you believe to be true and what you're seeing as reality don't mesh. So you don't believe the reality and you just continue to believe what you believe to be true. So an example might be thinking that, you know, this person is really kind and generous and they just had a bad day when really you're just not seeing what's going on. Or, or you, you know, I hear all the time stories of infidelity and someone will have like found all this evidence of uh, some outside relationship. And the person when they're cornered will be like, no, that didn't happen. You're, you're controlling, you're jealous, you're insecure, you're, this is all you. And then you're like, oh gosh, that must be right. Cause I really want him to be faithful. So I'll just believe he's faithful and that I'm the idiot. Right. So I had so much cognitive dissonance. I had numerous therapists tell me there are multiple narcissists in my life at the time. I had numerous therapists tell me over a course of years, different therapists that I was dealing with narcissists. And I'm like, no, you know, this behavior is not good, but it's not that bad. Like I just, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. I couldn't see it until I did. And I think one of the things that was really transformative for me was things got really, really bad in terms of lawsuits and false allegations and things coming up. And it it sort of like lifted a veil, like, oh, this is what's been going on in my life for decades. You know, all of these people believe bizarre things that are not true, that I can easily prove are not true. But even when I've provided the proof, they still believe them because they're committed to that story. Mm -hmm. And when I sort of got that full breadth view and I could see it, it was like seeing behind a magic trick or, you know, seeing how the magic trick is done. I was like, now I can't unsee this anymore. Now I, I see exactly what's happened here and here and here and here. And the other piece that had happened when I had, I waited years to start dating after my divorce, I was really just focused on my kids and healing and I love personal development and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I was attracting all narcissists. I mean, I actually have this like email sequence where it's like suitor number one. And then here's the ridiculous story. Suitor number two. Here's the next ridiculous story, you know, and on and on and on. And I was like, all right. So not everyone in the world is a narcissist. There's a reason I am a narcissist target and I need to figure out what that is. And once I figured that out, and that was the trauma bond attracts, Mm -hmm. attracts narcissists to you, like, you know, moth to a flame. And how does a trauma bond attract a narcissist? They, They recognize it somehow. I don't know how they know. I think it's all subconscious for the most part, but they, they recognize it. So in a trauma bond, you know, when you think about like Stockholm syndrome and people being really attached to their, their captors, it's very similar. The trauma bond, when you're in a relationship, makes you not see it as abusive. When you leave the relationship, it makes you want them back, even though you know it was abusive. When you no longer want them back, it still makes you think about them. 
and long for what could have been, right? Like that sort of thing. And it attracts new narcissists and it attracts old narcissist drama. So because they still have this way of being able to emotionally mess with you until that trauma bond is broken, they did, They just flock to you. I mean, I really had set out to try to figure this out because I was like, there's a hundred people in this room. Why are they all coming to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, also, I think we, we, we get, like people can get used to your own behavioral patterns as their own behavioral patterns as well. And if their behavioral pattern was tied up around a narcissist, then that's what feels normal. And to be around someone who's not like that doesn't feel normal. And so I like that completely makes sense to me too. And it's just like breaking that pattern, which it sounds like you were very smart in taking the time to do. And I truly think it is so powerful for anyone who is who is going through a divorce, the ending of a long-term relationship to take that that time. And I think as a society, sometimes we want to just like, or people who, you know, want to offer advice or like, you just got to get back out there. You got to, you know, go see, go see who's out there. And it's like, no, 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 no. Being in a relationship with yourself at that time is, is, you'll, you'll never be upset with yourself for having that time to yourself. I just want to say that for anyone listening who might need to do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's so true. So once I had figured all of this out for myself, I was like, I can't, I can't keep this to myself. I always say the you know, any programs, courses, books, anything I've created, I created what I wish I had had because there's no one, you know, I, therapy is wonderful. I think therapists are fantastic. They're super helpful with extraction and all of the early stages, but therapy only gets you about halfway. And then there's a lot of people that are sort of like discharged from therapy, like, okay, you're done. And they're like, okay, I'm just going to be kind of broken forever. And they're like a little bit, you know, I mean, it's, it's just really sad it's because it doesn't have to be that way. Well, and you don't have your therapist walking around with you all the time being like, oh, there's that pattern. Hold on. Wait, think about what you're saying right here. This is where you can exercise what we just worked on last week. And so it's hard to have that kind of continuation when you're just so used to it out in the world. Yeah, for sure. Well, also, why do we, I just, before I, I want to make sure in case in your studies you found an answer to this, hearing you even mention, why do people lift up the narcissist? Like you, you mentioned like protecting the narcissist. Like where does that behavior come from? Even in relation to people who come and work with you and they're like actually there to to work on, you know, maybe an ex romantic partner who was a narcissist and still protects like their parent that probably was like the root of their narcissism in in their own life to begin with. But wh- where does the protective side come in? Why, why are people protective of a narcissist? It's really interesting. And the people who, who believe and perpetuate the narcissist persona and narrative uh, in narcissist literature are called flying monkeys, like the Wizard of Oz. They're like carrying out the, nar- the narcissist's oh, dirty man. work. Uh, some of them don't even know that that's what they're doing. For many, they they were really fairly innocent. They just believe that the persona is real. And because the victim survivor has been so abused, they don't, they can come off as completely crazy or completely unhinged. You know, it's kind of like, 
when you've got two young siblings in the backseat and one pokes the other one like enough till the one reacts and then the one that reacts gets in trouble, but the other mm-hmm. one was poking them for half an hour. I always think of narcissistic abuse as it, it's so like under the radar. There's there's dog whistling where they could say like a phrase. You could be out with someone. They say a phrase or a word that means to you, you know, you suck and I, I can't believe I'm here with you. But to everyone else, it doesn't sound like anything. So they just don't see it. And next thing you know, you're like reacting and you're running away crying or you're pissed off or whatever's going on. And they're like, she is a nut job, you know? So they, they set you up so that these other people see what they want them to see. And then they just go to bat for them. I think that their own cognitive dissonance, they, they don't want to be wrong. They want to make their version of the story right. And I believe for some of them, they, they want the story to be right to make themselves feel less insecure or to make themselves feel more in control of their own, of their own life, yeah. of their own situation. Has it been shocking to see how similar, that even though everyone's story might be different who you're working with, but how similar the patterns are? Have you noticed just how clear the patterns are for everyone that you've worked with. Absolutely. And it's really funny because I, I, I write bits and pieces of, you know, my story here and there. I've written a lot of articles, all of the stuff. And people will write to me like, oh my gosh, I could have written this. Or, oh my gosh, this is my story. You're sharing my story. Or, oh my gosh, your story resonated with me so much. I left this morning. The stories are all very similar. I mean, the details are different, but yeah. the, the general story is very similar. Well, when, when do the lights usually turn on for everyone? When do they recognize, when does the narcissism alarm bell usually ring? <laughs> Sometimes it's when other people point it out to them. That can be a really great thing, although a lot of times people really don't want to hear it. Other times it'll be when there's something super huge that happens like the seventh affair or they find out that that the person that they're with has this you know whole other life somewhere else has been lying about something really major that they'll go start doing research and they start you know reading and watching videos and think oh my gosh like I had no idea I've been experiencing this all along sometimes they'll look for something specific like why is my boyfriend pitting me against his sister? And then they'll find articles about triangulation and they never even knew anything about narcissists. But now this is going to take them down that path. What is triangulation? So triangulation is when you basically, the the person, not only narcissists use it, but someone toxic, it's a toxic behavior, pits someone against someone else by telling them both things that are not true. And they usually do it like in confidence. They'll do it in a way where it's like, you know, say you're at work and you're like, "Eh, don't tell Susie I told you this, but she and her husband are having problems. That's why her work performance is so bad. And then, you know, they're like later telling Susie, don't tell, don't tell Evan I told you this, but he's really worried your work is sliding. Now, like, Susie's like upset at Evan. Evan is thinking Susie's having some sort of issue. They're not going to talk to each other about it because Mm -hmm. it was like, it it was so like in confidence kind of thing. They're not going to come discuss it. 
and they're never going to be any the wiser. So this happens in workplace dynamics all the time where you pit coworkers against each other. Or, you know, so-and-so said they don't want to go out Friday night if you're going. So is it okay if you don't come when the gang goes out after work? And just to make them believe this person doesn't like them and set things up. It, I mean, it's very middle school friend drama like, but it can have huge consequences. I didn't realize in my own life, there was triangulation from numerous people. And I didn't realize the extent of it sometimes for decades. Like I didn't realize, oh, this is, this is what turned that relationship like 20 years ago, I had no idea because you're not addressing it in that moment, you know, or it might yeah. be, it might be, you know, could you try a little harder at dinner? My mom thinks you don't like her. And then, you know, to the significant other and then to the mom another time, you know, could you lay off my girlfriend? She's really tired of your criticism. And now all of a sudden these two have an issue when there was no issue there. Yeah. It's completely contrived. It's great for a Real Housewives storyline. Terrible for real life. We don't need that in real life. <laughs> right. <laughs> Leave it for the reality TV. We do not need that in real life. You've mentioned a few times that maybe a narcissist or people that you've worked with who found themselves in a relationship, like infidelity or some sort of secret life. Do you feel like that that is a very common common trait of a relational narcissist? It is common and it is not universal. I think a lot of people believe that it is universal. I would say amongst most overt narcissists, it's pretty darn common. Those are the ones that are, you know, the ones who think that they're God's gift to humanity that are powerful and flashy and full of themselves. The mm -hmm. covert ones, they come off in a totally different way. They come off as the victim. Like, oh, it's really such a shame that I'm not smart enough to figure this out. Can you do my work for me? Or, you know, it's, it's such a shame that my wife is so mean to me or whatever. They're, they're the victim or the hero, but often the victim in every story. And I find that they, it, it's kind of mixed. There are ones that cheat and they will get people to move. I had one woman reach out to me. She was an attorney. She left her law practice. She was a named partner, left her law practice, moved across the country to be with this man that she met online. He was still living with his wife and they were not separating. So they, they certainly can. But what I find often is if their persona is that they're a very loving family man or family woman, they certainly aren't all men. That if their persona is that they're loyal and trustworthy and hardworking and just really down on their luck and whatnot, they often do not cheat because that would not fit with that persona at all. The narrative. And they, the narrative. They care about people believing the narrative more than they, they care about experiencing that. So if anyone's listening right now and they're trying and they're like, hmm, I wonder if I'm like, am I with a narcissist or is this family member a narcissist or is this person at my office or is this partner of mine? Like, what are things that kind of check-ins that they can do with themselves and their relationships to kind of understand whether they have healthy boundaries, whether personality, like whether 
they're in a relationship or in a partnership with a narcissist or whether it's just they're having a disagreement and people just handle things differently and it's a personality thing as opposed to like an actual trait that is have wreak more havoc on the relationship than just, you know, two different perspectives on a matter. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I think one of them is that if you find yourself or they find themselves doing things that they wouldn't otherwise do, whether it's for good reason they think or bad, that's a huge red flag. So if you're dating someone, for example, and you you have a big work whatever in the morning and you stay up all night talking instead of saying like, you know, I got to get some sleep because I have this big presentation or audition or whatever it is, that would definitely be a red flag. If you find that you're inviting someone to move in much more quickly than you ever would have in the past, that's going to be a big red flag. If you find that you're off in the bathroom having phone sex because you're like so interested in this person and you're not worried about getting caught at your job, that's going to be a big red flag. So in the love bombing, you can spot those red flags. If you're behaving in a way that you wouldn't otherwise, that is going to be a big red flag. And then on on the other end, once devaluation has started, if you're staying in a relationship that you wouldn't otherwise choose. So if you if you've been, mm. you know, in a relationship for 10 years and you're like, if I met this person now and we went on a date, would I choose to be with them? And if the answer is no, then you got to start wondering why, you know, healthy people don't manipulate. Manipulation is getting someone to do something they wouldn't otherwise do for reasons that benefit them, right? Healthy people don't do that. Healthy people don't give a silent treatment. Healthy people don't punish you for setting boundaries. If you say, you know what, I just don't feel like going out Friday night. It's been a long week. I want to go to bed. I want I want to put my jammies on and watch Netflix. And they're mad about that. And now are not going to talk to you for a week. That's not normal. They're trying to get you to do something you wouldn't otherwise do. If they're always pushing blame onto you, you know, where, where they do something, say that, say your partner comes home two hours late and has no explanation. They didn't call. They dinner was ready. You're sitting there with the kids. Like, where are they? And then they're like, oh my gosh, you're so over the top. You're so controlling. You just have to blah, blah, blah. Like, no, we're like, we're in a partnership. I don't care if you're late, but you got to at least let me know. <laughs> right? If they're pushing the, the blame onto you, that's going to be a huge red flag. But I, I think the, the, one of the easiest ways to figure out is, you know, on either end, are you doing something you wouldn't otherwise do? Would you choose to be in this relationship, you know, now? And I, I completely get that it's not simple for people to leave, that dissolution of a marriage, especially when there's children involved or property or businesses or whatever, is, is hard. But it's a big wake-up call. And I guess the other thing is, if there's a trauma bond, healthy people don't make trauma bonds. They don't, you, you can't form a trauma bond with a healthy person. So if you see these aspects of, I know this person is abusing me, but I can't leave. And I see that in comments I get from people and things all the time. You know, let me, you know, or in groups, let me rant about all these terrible, terrible, terrible things they, they did. I know I should leave, but if, you've, mm-hmm. if you can see that you've got a trauma bond, you are with a, tox- a toxic person. Oof. What is there? Have you worked with someone before 
and had them and yourself realize, oh, actually, you're the narcissist. Like, have you, have you, (laughs) has that come up in your line of work? (laughs) You know, it's really funny because most victims or survivors always worry that they're the narcissist. In fact, it's super common. I don't, I'm not sure I've met one that hasn't worried that they're the narcissist, but I haven't found one yet that is. That makes me feel better because I'm just sitting here going like, maybe I might be the narcissist. Maybe I am. I am the narcissist. I'm the problem. It's me. Hi. Is that it? So good. I'm glad that everyone questions it. You know, it's really funny. I actually wrote two articles about this with a list of criteria or questions I would ask myself because I used to go through the same thing. And I, I would every once in a while with my, with my husband. Now I would say like, oh my gosh, am I the narcissist? And he'd be like, Melissa, are you self-reflective? Yes. Are you empathic? Do you think about or consider others' feelings? Yes. Are you blah, blah, blah? Like through the list, I'd be like, oh, phew. It's not me. (laughs) You know, it might be two weeks or it might be two minutes till I'm like worried about it again. And what I noticed was a few years ago when I was doing the peak of my healing after, I mean, this was many years after I had really stepped away from all of those relationships, put really firm boundaries on them. It really escalated and it got to the point where it was like almost nonstop. And on that trip to the fountain pen show that I told you about, I actually said it peaked on that trip. And I said to my husband, God is asking me to be so certain about who I am that if all 8 billion people on this planet, including you, can't see it, that I'm still okay. And that was the last time I ever had that thought. Was I the narcissist? It was like, it was just done. It peaked and it was done. Like at that point, I knew who I am and that I do care about other people. And I, I love other people and I, I would never want to manipulate someone into doing something they wouldn't want to do. Do you you think part of you was holding on to the narrative still after all those years to a certain extent? You know, it's like, why do we, why would, why do people maybe hold on to that? Like, am I, am I, maybe it's me, maybe it's me. Because especially in a dynamic that includes a narcissist, one of their, like one of a, a common tactic is, you know, consciously or subconsciously is gaslighting the other person and kind of putting it, the problem on them. And so it's just the residual like hangover of that (laughs) just takes a long time to let go of. Oh, a hundred percent. Between the residual gaslighting and the projection, I even remember a situation years ago where someone had, had, you know, tried to, uh, get into it with, over email with me. Not, uh, I mean, it, this was someone in my personal life. And I responded that I really appreciated them being such a impactful spiritual teacher in my life. And I stood firm with my boundary. And I 100% meant it. And I got back from several people who this was shown to, like, oh, you're so passive aggressive, whatever. And I'm like, huh? Like, I don't, I don't really, I don't do passive aggressive. I'm really direct. If anything, I'll, I'll be flawed that direction. So, but, but when you're hearing it from all of these people, you know, whether it's family members, friends, you've known forever, all of these people, you're like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) You know, I think that it does take some time for that to all burn out. Like it doesn't matter what they think because none of them have seen the truth. They've all seen 
the story that was put out there by other people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What, what is a moment that you think of where you, like the knowing, where you listened to your voice and heard it and, and you didn't even have to question it. You just heard your voice and you were at peace with the way you responded to the world. There was a time a few years ago when there were ridiculous allegations posed in a lawsuit. I think I mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. And I was so intent on wanting the people around me to know the truth. Like all the people who were these witnesses who had no evidence and no proof, and I could easily prove that what they were saying was not true, but who had testified like against me in this regard. And I, I so, for a long time, I really, really wanted them to know the truth. I wanted, it wasn't that I wanted them to feel bad or think that they sucked because they were wrong and they, you know, testified legally to something that wasn't true or whatever. It was just like, I really wanted the truth to be seen. And it was because this lawsuit situation went on for like almost a year and a half. By the end of it, it was, it was really extraordinary because at that point I didn't care who saw it. I didn't care who believed it. I mean, obviously I care about the outcome of a legal matter. But beyond that, I didn't have anything to prove anymore. 
it was kind of like, you know, the end of Captain Marvel when she's like, you know, I have nothing to prove. And I'm like, I have nothing to prove it to anyone anymore. I don't care. I don't care if all of these people from my past want to believe that I did, you know, whatever. I don't care anymore. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with who I am. And I can, I can be who I am with people who choose to see me. Ooh, I really love that. Yeah. With the people who choose to see you. Yeah. That was, that was so impactful. I had so many stories in my head, so many narratives, so many things like, well, you have to see these people because they're relatives or you have to stay in touch with these people because they're godparents for your children or you you have to do whatever like i just had so many boxes and constraints around me and my way of thinking that when i could let go of all of that i really don't there's 8 billion people in the world if these yeah. however many choose not to see the truth it's not my problem and accepting that sometimes things, that it's okay for things to end. It's okay for that, that chapter to close. It's okay for that book to close. And especially, I think, for, for friend, like when friendships aren't working and serving either person anymore, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. No one has to like, you don't win. You don't like win a medal. You know, right. it's like if it's not serving either person anymore and having healthy boundaries with family is okay too. Like you, like that is 100% okay. Cause I think that that also comes up a lot. And it's been where, where I hear people that are just like, oh, well, you gotta, we gotta make it work, make it work. Well, it's okay sometimes to, you don't have to. And especially when you become a parent yourself, like it's really, I admire people that I've gotten to know in adulthood that have found the, uh, the ability to be around family with healthy boundaries for themselves and for their children as well, because then it, ser it serves the good for everyone. Oh, for sure. And I always think, I mean, I love it when, when people have healthy boundaries and I wouldn't want anyone, whether it's my kids or their significant other or grandkids or anyone in the future, like anyone, I don't ever want anyone coming to my house because they have to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I want them to want to be in my life and, and be there willingly, not because they feel like there's an obligation or some, mm -hmm. some old school way of thinking about this. It's just not required. And it's so, it's it just, it feels so good to be free of that. And, and especially in the past couple of years, I've come across someone who hit a point where they said, you know what, I, I just, I don't think that the way you, you know, are as a friend, it's just not for me. I, I don't like this. I don't like that. And I don't like that. And I said, okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> That's pretty clear. Like, all right. <laughs> we don't have to be friends. We don't have to hang out. That is totally fine because there are parts of my personality that I'm sure drive people crazy. Like I'm not great at texting, you know, like I, I need my recharge battery time where I need to kind of be on my own a little bit. You know, whoever's in front of me, I give them all my attention. And usually that's my children. And, and so, and if you need me and say 911, I'll be there in a heartbeat. 
But if you're just saying, hey, how's your day? You know what? I might not respond to that because I got other things going on. And there's certain things that aren't everyone's cup of tea. And that's okay. That is 100% okay for like letting go of like me, everyone has to like be okay and have some sort of like resolution to any sort of relationship that they're in. When you let go of that, there is such freedom. Absolutely. And, and I always think, you know, relationships at some point just feel complete or like any season of life, Mm -hmm. you know, people will do one thing for a career and then they want to do something else or they'll have one hobby and then they want to give that up and have something else. And it's, it's just complete. It, it yeah. doesn't need to go anywhere else. I always, always think of people as, you know, in the book of my life, some people might be there for a sentence or a paragraph or a chapter or most of the book. And any is okay. Yeah. For you, ob- there's hope for those, obviously, who have been in any form of a narcissistic, you know, who relationship again, whether that is like work, familial, romantic, any of those, there is hope. There is work that you can do. There's boundaries that can be made. What are some, but the fear I'm sure of a lot of people who come to work with you that you even, you know, expressed as well of, well, then how do I engage in other relationships? Like, how do I take all this knowledge and move forward? And like when you were moving forward into dating again, and really recognizing what a positive relationship was, was that, how did you kind of navigate that for, for oh. anyone listening who is at that point? Like what, what are the things that they have to recognize within themselves as they're encountering and engaging in a positive relationship? Oh, yeah. I think one of the things that's so key is that they have to enjoy being with themselves. They need to actually, part of the healing process that I guide people on is falling in love with yourself, not in an egoic, narcissistic way, right? But but falling in love with the truth of who you are because you are going to be with you till your last breath. Other people may come and go, but you're going to be with you. That's your most important relationship. And if you don't love yourself, there's no way to expect someone else to love you more. They can't, they can't fill that hole. You have to fill it yourself and then welcome someone in. So when I set out on my process after, you know, suitor number six or whatever, and I was like, whoa, this is messed up. Something, (laughs) something is dreadfully wrong here. That was what I really set out to do is to like, to learn to enjoy being with myself, with my own Mm -hmm. thoughts, with the things that I'd like to do. And then when I when I got to the point where I decided it would be, it would be great to have another relationship. It would be great to welcome someone into my life. My life is super awesome. It would be great to share it with someone. I had previously joked that the right guy would have to wander into my yard because my life was so awesome. I wasn't going to trade things I love doing for going on dating app dates or going and hanging out at some activity in the hopes that I might meet someone. Like, why would I go hope I could meet someone for the future when I knew I could have fun at home with my kids or with my friends or whatever. And so when I let go of that expectation and I let go of the expectation, even when I did start meeting people again, they didn't have to be the one. 
Maybe we become friends. Maybe we become nothing. Maybe it's a great opportunity for me to practice boundary setting and realize in the first five minutes, this is not going anywhere and gracefully exit. Maybe, you know, like what an awesome opportunity to practice that skill. So then it was actually interesting. It was fun because there, there was no expectation. There was no expectation that they had to like me or want to be with me. There was no expectation of anything. And it was really cool in 2017. It was like December 27th. I, out of the blue, I just texted a friend of mine and said, do you think I should put up a dating profile? She said, go for it. I found my husband two days later on the 29th. He was my fourth date off of that dating profile. And we just celebrated six years together earlier this week. But I really believe it was because I had cleared out all of this other stuff. I wasn't holding on to emotional attachments from past relationships. I I was perfectly fine if it didn't work out and if I was going to be alone. And he, he asked me early on if I was interested in getting married again. And I was like, I'm not opposed to getting married again, but I don't need a husband. I'm not looking to get married again. I, you know, if it's the right person, yeah, of course I would get married again, but I don't have a hole that I need to fill. Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly whole hanging out over here. So someone who wants to come hang with me, that would be kind of fun, but not required. Yeah. And I think that made a huge difference. I think there's absolutely hope. And that makes the hugest difference than when so often people in this situation, they're looking for the next relationship to be the savior. They feel like crap. They feel unworthy. They feel unlovable. They feel like they're not good enough. They're looking for someone to come in and make them feel those things so they don't have to feel that way anymore. And to see themselves through someone else's eyes instead of looking at yourself through your own lens. They're like, okay, well, if this person looks at me that way, then that must be true. As opposed to looking at yourself in the mirror and just tell, like being your own truth, essentially. Right. So there's hope. There's hope. But question, (laughs) is there hope for the narcissist? What happens to the narcissist? There's not hope for the narcissist. But no, no, the narcissist, sadly, as of right now, there are no treatments, at least that I'm aware of, that work for narcissists. And it is, I, I do say sadly, because I'm long since past all of the anger and all of the hurt, and I genuinely love all of them that are were in my past, whether I'm in contact with them or not, I truly wish the best for them. I want nothing but wonderful things for them. And there's not currently a path that I'm aware of for them to get there. They sort of repeat the same patterns again and again. For the narcissist that you can't completely eradicate from your life, you know, mentioning like familial or a workplace where you're, you can't just like quit your job. How, what do you say to those that you work with on kind of li- living with them to a certain extent? How do they continue to walk in their own shoes, walk in their own path? How do they, how do you safely with a healthy boundary engage with the narcissist? So one is by setting setting strict boundaries around without telling a narcissist you're setting boundaries because they don't like that. But you could, you know, if you had 
if crazy Uncle Al in your family is a narcissist and he always picks on you and asks you embarrassing questions, you could choose to go celebrate Thanksgiving with your parents beforehand and not go to the big family dinner. Or you could time it so that you're only there for half an hour or you sit nowhere near crazy Uncle Al or, you know, whatever. If it's a, a situation where you think there may be triangulation going on, I always say you want to, with kindness and gentleness, go talk to the other person. You know, hey, I heard that you're feeling like maybe I don't like you. And I just really wanted to take a minute and, and one, hear anything you have to say. And two, say, I just adore you. I think you are amazing. And I would, I would love to have a closer relationship. You're just kind of taking the bulls by the bull by the horns instead of being stuck in this triangulated fiasco, especially once you know the person is a narcissist. That happens so commonly in the workplace. And, and then the final or the additionally, the way that I would suggest not being their target is by making sure that they have it's not your job to give them narcissistic supply. Narcissistic supply, like I mentioned before, like it's like blood to a vampire. They have to have it. They have to have it. When they don't have it, their self-esteem bottoms out. They are completely emotionally dysregulated. All bets are off with their behavior. They can be really dangerous. They have to have it. So if you are in the workplace and you could say, oh, hey, thanks for picking up the slack with this project. I really appreciate it. Like as long as it's genuine and you're not lying and gritting your teeth, because this is totally not true. If there are things that you can say that are complimentary or you can show appreciation, they hold the door for you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm carrying a lot this morning or, you know, whatever that helps. And I always think of it. Sometimes people will say, well, isn't that manipulating them? And I, I think that it's not because I see it more as trying to make sure your toddler is well rested and well fed before you get them to, you know, like you're just trying to make sure everyone is in the best mental, physical, emotional state they can be for effective conversation and decision making. You're not trying to make them open doors for you or do something extra. You're not trying to get them to do anything on your behalf. You're just keeping the peace. And feeding the, feeding the beast a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not in a way like I would never advocate letting someone devalue you. Yes. I wouldn't, right, to, to get supplied. That, no, because that's too damaging to your soul. But there are ways, I mean, even with the most difficult obnoxious person, there are things to be appreciative of or grateful for or compliments that can be given. Yeah. And it like it helped, you know, with and that's, again, keeping a very healthy boundary. And like they're there. And that's like a kind surface level, just just as much as kindness you could give a stranger. You know what I mean? Like, I feel exactly. like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for you being kind enough to come join me today. I really, really appreciate it. And I think everyone listening, I mean, I've taken a lot from this conversation and I think everyone listening has as well. And truly, Dr. Colt, thank you so much for all that you do. And it's true. It really is inspiring to hear you talk about how passionate you are 
about the work that you do and specifically how it impacts others and, and what you're and what you get from that. It's really beautiful. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Candace. This was this was wonderful. A Superbloom podcast is hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions, edited by Diane Kang, post-production sound by Coco Lawrence, and advertising partnership with ACAST. <laughs>